When you guys think back to your childhood, there are two types of kids. Two types of kids when it comes to your parents disciplining you. Those types of kids, they'll laugh. <laughs> Those types of kids where a good stern look is all you need. They'll still laugh at this point. Rachel was one of those children, which again makes it difficult in her mind to see Corbin and, and how all of that works out. So those who just need the stern look, but then there's also those who need the belt. Right? I was of the latter category in that. And so foolish was I that after the crack of the belt had stopped echoing down the hall as a warning to other kids who might be listening, I would wait and laugh at them. And my laughing at them certainly did not help the situation at all. But when it's all done, you, you take up your child and you hold them in your arms. And the one who's afflicted seeks comfort in the one who brought the pain. It's what we have in Christ. As we turn to, to Psalm 2, you see with Christ, He is the one who brings the affliction. Christ is the one who breaks the nations with a rod of iron. He is the one who dashes the nations and breaks them apart like a potter's vessel. But He is the one in whom we seek refuge. He is the one who has overcome the world. He is the one in whom we are safe in His arms. Who is this Jesus to you? Who is He to you? Ponder that. Who is Christ to you? Ponder that as we go through Psalm 2 here. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who is in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision he will speak to them. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his anger, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the, the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish away, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all, blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Let us pray. Let us pray. Dear God, we come to You as a people longing to be fed of Your Word. Longing to see the the beauty of Your Son. How is it so beautiful, God, that Your Son is one who will come and rule over the nations, God? I pray that You would reveal that to us. God, could You show us the beauty and the life that we have in Your Son, God? Pray that she is a psalmist writes that you would be exalted, O God, above the heavens, that your glory, God, let your glory cover the earth and certainly let it cover our hearts and our minds right as we come to you and seeking you in your word. Amen. Amen. Kind of a, again an outline of where we're going to be going. The main idea we're going to be driving home is to flee, flee from your sin. And seek refuge in Christ. Flee from your sin and seek refuge in Christ. So the first one we're going to be, how do we do that? Well, the first thing we have to do in verses 1 through 3 is to realize your rebellion. It's easy to see it in the kids, everybody else. Realize your rebellion. It is who you are. It's the way your parents were. It's going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Come to terms with that and wrestle with that in your heart. How will you conquer this? What will be the end of it? Verses 4-9 through then, we're going to see the dominion of Christ. The dominion of Christ. Christ is the one who is the Son of God. Christ is the one ruling over all things. And then finally in verses 10-12, through refuge in Christ. Take your refuge in Christ. Let's begin. Verses 1 through 3. See your rebellion. Acknowledge. Realize your rebellion here. So we'll just go through the verses again. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they, they set themselves. The rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us. The psalmist, do you see, he's drawing us in. Verse 1. He's drawing us in with a question. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? It was true 3,000 years ago when the psalmist was writing. And it's certainly true today. And it will be true until the Lord returns. It's as if that's all we know. So come on a journey with me. We'll go back to the beginning. We'll go back to the beginning and see why all of this is happening. God has created all things to declare His glory. So light is good, but it's not good enough. So he makes the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, and he casts them out in the sky, and he holds them there in this beautiful dance. Then he creates the, the seas and the sky, which again are quite marvelous, but not as marvelous as they would be on the fifth day when they're filled with the, with the fish, and then the skies are filled with the birds. And then on, on day three, he, he creates land, and it's beautiful as the plants come up by the Word, through Christ. But not as beautiful as these lands are filled with animals, and then finally with Adam and Eve. And this, this whole creation is singing and dancing to the glory of God, proclaiming the beauty of Christ and the glory of God. 
The song doesn't last very long. So rebellion enters into Adam's heart. And he is the one who is saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Adam is the one saying, let us cast away their cords from us. And this goodness and this protection of God was understood to be a bond and a cord tying them down. Perhaps that's you, my friend. You see, you see the Christian life and the basics of it. To love God and to submit to God, to love your neighbor as yourself. And you see these held before you. But they're not joyous things that you seek to endeavor towards. No, they're bonds holding you down. That's how you see them. You're fettered down from who you truly want to be. That's the same thought that Adam had going in, in his heart. And so corruptive was this, this act of Adam and Eve that it spread to all of their children. By nature, their, their children took it on. It wasn't just something they did. It was, it was who they were. So you see Cain, and he's a wretched man for killing his brother. Abel was also a wretched man who needed to make an offering to God because of his sin. The whole lot of them. All sinners. And you see this continues, continues, and the whole world joins into this rebellion. And rather than allowing God to come down to them, they endeavor to then go up to God and they construct this Tower of Babel. Right? And this is the nations, another picture of the nations that's throughout the whole of Scripture. But it's another instance of the nations conspiring and raging against God. And we read through it and go, oh, that's no big deal. I mean, they're just building a big building. What's, what's the big deal? But you recall, the Garden of Eden is on a mountain. It has rivers flowing out of it. Right? Go to Ezekiel 28. And what, what does he write? He says, Eden there, Eden was there on the holy mountain of God. And so here, this is why, just as an aside, this is why throughout Scripture there's always this tie between physical height and and topography and your elevation with, with spiritual height. So Moses goes up the mountain to encounter God. Elijah goes up the mountain to encounter God. Uh, the transfiguration, they go up the mountain and see Christ transfigured. The Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 to 134, they, they would come down along the Jordan River, cross around Jericho, and then begin this ascent up to Jerusalem. And they would be rehearsing these Psalms in Ascent that God would prepare their hearts as they physically and as they spiritually rise up because it's ingrained in us from the garden. And so in the Tower of Babel, what you have as in nations conspiring and ruling together and trying to get back to God in and of their own strength. And God cannot have it. And He casts them down. And He casts them out and disperses them just as He did Adam and Eve. And this is the same motives that is hidden in, in your hearts as well. In my heart, undoubtedly. We're climbing and we're scraping and we're groveling to get back up the mountain of God. Some of you in your pride. Do so you think, I'm not actually that bad. I'm a pretty good guy. I can, I can do enough good things. And others of you, in your brokenness, you're thinking, God would never come down to me. He would never come down to me in my heart if he only knew what I had done. 
So rather than, even in your brokenness, rather than letting God come down to you, you are scraping and graveling and trying to then get back up to God. Crawl your way back up the mountain. And as we move forward, remember these three sermons, as we're covering the Bible, looking at people of God, the worship of God, and, and Christ as King, we're preparing ourselves to get an overview so we can look in on these minor prophets. And as when we look at these minor prophets, these verses, verses 1, 2, and 3, they're like the backdrop of, of all of the history that is going on throughout these minor prophets. You see the kings are setting themselves up, and they're rebelling not only against God, but they're rebelling against each other. So Jeroboam leads the ten tribes against Rehoboam in the south. You see that in the north, Zimri kills um, Elah, and then Omri kills uh, Elah, and then Jehu kills the son of Elah, who, which is Ahab, who had tried to kill. You get it. It goes on and on and on. They are walking in rebellion against God. And this continues. So you see the Assyrians, they come in and just wipe clean the ten northern tribes. Carry them off. Then the Babylonians come, and what do they do to Nineveh and the Assyrians? They wipe it clean. They wipe it clean. They come and they are rebelling against God, my friend. That is what they are doing. They're seeking to have the ultimate authority over other nations, have this authority over other men, which is only the place of God. So in rebelling against God, they're trying to subject their neighbors. And it was the same very, very same motives that compelled Adam and Eve to eat of the fruit are the very same motives that drive Babylon to conquer Jerusalem. They refuse to submit to the true king. But that's not only the story of the world, as we see through the minor prophets going through kings and chronicles. That's the story of, of us and our world. Look around us. Look around us, my friends. We see the same rebellion against God. It, it won't be given to me. No, I will determine my own gender. My life will not be held in the hand of God. I will determine when I die. I will take that from God. Walk in rebellion against Him. I won't be constrained in these, in these cords, in these bonds, just to, just to my wife or just to my husband. I won't even be constrained to, to marry someone of the opposite sex. But don't fear, my friend. Don't fear this rebellion in others. Be dreadfully afraid when you see it in yourself. It's so easy to see the folly of the garden. They eat a little bit of fruit and they give up God. It's like Esau forsaking his birthright for a little bit of food. We see that and we go, you're an idiot, quite frankly. You're an idiot. And we see these other nations sending their best sons off to war. For what? For what? Just so old men can talk about how great they are. It's folly. But we don't see it in our own heart. We don't see the sin that is entrenched in our own heart. And we don't, it's as if we're, we're born blind. We're just walking around in the darkness. We don't see the sin within our own hearts. 
My friends, it's not the kings that have set themselves. And it's not only the rulers who have taken counsel together. It is you. Let's not just look at culture and condemn them, but no. Look within. Look within your own heart. That is, we are the ones who are saying, let us burst these bonds apart and cast away these cords from us. That is us. That is you. These parents, why did you give me these parents? Why must I submit to them? These teachers, why did you give me these teachers? Why must I submit to them? This career, I didn't choose it. I was forced into it. Because I got passed up and passed up and passed up for every other job. Why must I be faithful? Why this husband? That one over there is better looking. More patient with his wife. He provides better. Why must I be constrained? Let me be free from these bonds. Let me be free from these cords. And this is the fruit of the culture that is hanging before you. This is what's hanging before you. And don't be fooled. No one's disputing how good the fruit tasted in the garden. By all accounts, it tasted great. You read Job 20 and you see that evil is sweet on the tongue. And in Hebrews 11, Moses is, is, is commended. Why? Because he forsook the pleasures of sin in Egypt to suffer with his brothers. But it, it's, it's so fleeting. It's the fleeting pleasures of sin, as the author of Hebrews would write. It doesn't truly satisfy, my friend. So don't despair. These, these same bonds that are, that are the sinners, we see them as tying us down and constraining us. We must push them aside so that I can have my own identity, that I can be who I want to be. No, these are the same bonds that the saints of God look at them and go... Praise be to God. In these bonds I find freedom, I find safety, I find refuge. And refuge in Christ. So we've, we've seen this rebellion of, of the nations and the rulers and the kings and even in our own culture, but I hope you are seeing it is your heart that is walking in rebellion, wanting to cast aside these cords away from you. Now the psalmist spins in it. It's not just the from now the, the perspective of the rulers and the kings, but now you get the perspective of God looking down at them. So let's start with verse 4 here. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His, in, in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on, my, on Zion, my holy hill. Verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said unto me, You are my son. Today I have begotten. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And all of this rebellion against God, all of His creation acting in rebellion against Him, is he trembling in fear? Is he up there? Is he worried? No. He's not, he's not making second plans. What is he? He's laughing. He who, sits in, he who sits in heaven, he laughs. When I was growing up, I had to steal you a little bit. Uh, 
incredibly hot temper. And my brother, who is always two years older and about 50 pounds heavier than me, I would try and I would try. <laughs> we would fight. Not, not like cute brotherly, but like arms ablaze and fight. And he would just pummel me and pummel me and pummel me. With my temper. You'd think I'd learn by my temper. I'd go back and try to get him the next time. What made it even worse is when he kind of mellowed out. He got older a little bit. He wouldn't fight. He would just laugh at me. Just kind of, you know, there you go, move along, Jake. Like, I'm like, no. Just kind of laugh at me. It's, it's the same thing here in the text with the Lord. He, he has no insecurity whatsoever. He's just laughing at them. He's holding them in derision. That is, that is, he's mocking them. Like, what are you going to do? Right? He's mocking them. But soon the amusement passes and the anger arises and it says, and then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his anger. They think that they are the ones who have set themselves as kings, right? They have no greater authority than about themselves, so they set themselves as king. But how does Christ respond to that? How does God respond to that? No, I have set my king. It's not of you guys. I have set my king on Zion. So where do we get this idea? Let's, again, take a little aside and talk about this idea of, of the king and the kingship. It'll, it'll be profitable as we go through these minor prophets. God has created His creation and He has complete dominion over it. He tells the seas, you can go this far, and there they stop. He tells the tree to rise up over there, and there it goes. He tells the moon, you go here and follow this path, and it has ever since. And then He creates Adam in His image. And one of the ways that Adam is going to carry on this image of God is by displaying dominion over God's creation. So he is in there tending the garden, taking care of the garden. He is the one who is then naming or then having authority over the animals. But through his sin, he falls short. He falls dreadfully short. And he is not the picture of this pure king. So there must, there must be another. Fast forward several centuries. The... Joshua leads the people in to conquer the land and they go through 300 some years of the judges and then that's not enough. They want a king. They want a king to rule over them. To lead them into battle as if God wasn't enough. And so they, in God's sovereign plan, He gives them kings. And it was doomed to fail as they were infected with the same sin as the nations that are building the Tower of Babel as Adam and Eve as you, they're infected with that same sin. And so you see Rehoboam, he, while he can't even keep the nation together, it divides off. Abijah, he leads his people into sin. Manasseh, he's not a good dad. He actually um, sacrificed his children to the god of Moloch in the valley outside of Jerusalem. Even the good ones, David, well, he has his shortcomings. He found some other lady and he thought she was pleasing and he took her as himself. And in order to kind of sweep all his tracks clean, he has her husband killed. And then there's Uriah, another good king, again affected with sin. Fantastic king, becomes a little prideful and tries to take on himself the role of a priest. He goes in St. Chronicles, he goes into the temple to offer incense 
and is struck with leprosy. So the great king of Judah, who's ruling over God's people, can't even go into the temple, can't even go into Jerusalem. He lives out his days outside of the city. And after the Babylonians, they are left without a king. They're left without a king and they're left waiting and wanting and longing for another. Is there another another king who can lead his kingdom? Is there an eternal king who can lead an eternal kingdom? And there is one. And that is Christ. And he has been appointed by God to to reign on Zion, the holy hill of God. And you see here in verse 7 that he is the son of God. He is begotten of God. And he is the one who will reign as king forever. And as we were going through Matthew, we see this enthronement of the king. There he is upon the cross. There he is upon his throne, drinking the wrath of God for your sin that has been infecting the nations and infecting culture and infecting your hearts all throughout history. And so this is the king and his kingdom. But what, so what should this kingdom be like? Well, we're used to borders, right? We have from sea to signing sea. That's what we learn as kids. Woods up top and maybe, maybe some kind of wall or something I've heard about. On the south border, uh, the, the Romans, they could go to, to the Rhine River, sometimes past it into Germany in the first couple centuries. Uh, the Koreans can go up to the Yalu River. And that's it. That's their boundary. That's their border. But what about this kingdom? What shall it have? Oh, no. The nation shall be your inheritance. The ends of the earth, they shall be your possession. That is the kingdom of God. We just finished Matthew. Remember, we just finished Matthew. The kingdom of heaven has come down to earth. So in light of that, we repent. We repent and follow Christ. And the Spirit of God is such filled you if you're in Christ and you've been commissioned to go in such a great way. To carry on, to be a herald of this kingdom. This kingdom of Christ. And praise the Lord, this kingdom shall never in Genesis 49, you see that Judah was the one from whom the scepter shall not depart. Well, it wasn't Judah, it was Christ. We know that. You see in Psalm 45, your throne, O Lord, is forever and ever. Pointing to, pointing to God, well, no, you read the Hebrews, you actually realize, well, this is pointing to Christ. This is pointing to Christ. And there's, there's Revelation, Revelation 15. You guys will be there. Some of you. I should give you pause. We'll be there crying out with loud voices. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So you may look to another, my friend. But it is all fulfilled in Christ. This is all fulfilled in Christ. Adam as a king. He was a failure. But his, his dominion was pointing to a dominion of someone else who would have faithful dominion forever. All of these other kings that we talked about. They're pointing, they're leading the people away from, away from God. And here is Christ, the true king, bringing the people back to God. My sheep. Hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. 
And they are temporary, the kings of this world, but He is eternal. And they are servants of a kingdom. That's just nations, as you see in other psalms, that it's just dust on the scales. But His throne is forever and ever and shall have no end. Even in our text, my friends, I hope you see that all of this is pointing to Christ and being fulfilled in Christ. In verse 7, who's the one speaking? Look, verse 7, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. It's Christ. Again, pointing to Christ. He alone is the Son of God. He alone is the only begotten Son of God. And as you read then through all, all of Scripture, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, you should be asking yourself, how does this point to Christ? In the garden, how does this point to Christ? As we read about these kings, how does this point to Christ? As we go through Paul, how is this pointing to Christ? When you look your life, examine it, and ask yourself, how is this pointing to Christ? How is this pointing to Christ? Because there is only one response. We see it here in verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear with fear and rejoice, with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So what shall you do and how shall you live in light of this King in His kingdom? You will bow before the King now and forever, as, as Spurgeon, as he writes, yield cheerfully to him who will make you bow if you refuse the yoke. Yield cheerfully to him who will make you bow if you refuse his yoke. You will bow before the king, my friend. Either in subjection, as the one who is broken with rod of iron, as one who is dashed as a potter's vessel, or you will bow in joy and delight before the King of all kings, as you see His beauty. My friends, examine, examine your heart and take refuge in Christ, in this eternal King, in whom there's a bounty of riches, my friend, in whom there is eternal security and eternal safety. Do not plot in vain any longer. Do not rise up against the Lord and His anointed, my friend. But rather, come. Come with all of your Affection, come with all of your heart, compelled to action with love. Come with all of your, your, your love and your devotion. Come to Christ. Come to Christ in your weakness, in your brokenness, in the midst of your sorrows and all of your joy. Come, come, my friend, and kiss the King and take refuge in Him and you will be blessed. Let us pray. Let us pray. Dear God, we, we pray that you would give us eyes to see our own hearts in light of your holiness, God. And as we were seeing, it is so easy to see the sins in others, in culture, or Adam, or the Tower of Babel, or whatever it might be, but God, I pray that you would 
reveal the sin that so easily entangles us, God, that you would reveal that to us and let us seek refuge in your Son and in your Son alone, God, and let us come and kiss the King and find eternal security and delight and joy in Him and Him alone. Amen.